Recording in progress. So we're going to be looking at, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, <clears throat> verse 24. And it's a very encouraging passage because it speaks of the, the problems, the hardships that Paul encounters. Paul the Apostle. <clears throat> and to kind of give you a little bit of background of what's going on here in the book of Corinthians. This is the second book. And actually there's three books. I don't know if you knew that. Um, and the reason we infer that because of Paul's language in his letters. So it's implied that there's a third letter. Now, that shouldn't mess with our faith because just because letters were written doesn't necessarily mean they were inspired. <clears throat> that they were inspired of the Holy Spirit. Or even if they were inspired of the Holy Spirit, like in the way that the rest of Scripture is, and for whatever reason, God in His sovereignty did not see fit to include those books within the rest of the canon of Scripture. Um, we know this also from the Old Testament. There are other books that the Old Testament references um, that had contributed to the knowledge of the Jewish people, but were nonetheless not sovereignly ordained by God to be included within the, the totality of, of uh, the canonical books. <clears throat> but what's going on here is, in the first letter, to kind of give you a little bit of background, Paul is addressing the divisions that are going on in the church. And while the Corinthian church has gifts, which is wonderful, and every church should be exercising that, because anything less than what we see in Scripture is sin. Right? It's not sin in some sort of diabolical way, but it's sin in, in regards of falling short of the glory of God. What God... Um, what God considers to be a mature church, right? A church in uh, its full completion. God's idea, God's ideal for what he considers a biblical church, right? <clears throat> so it falls short of that. And so while it is good that they're operating in gifts, uh, their character is flawed. And, and they're really operating as carnal Christians. And this is why Paul tells them in the first chapter, he says, I cannot address you as spiritual, but as unto carnal. He says, for you have need, not of meat, but of milk. And the, the byproducts of being on milk, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, that um, you become dull of hearing. You can't hear, you can't see. You can't, your, your senses have not been exercised to distinguish both good from evil. And so, as babies, the Corinthian church is divisive. There are factions. There are, and, and really, it's, they're lacking in love. And, and the reason why we know this is because in the 13th chapter, Paul speaks on that and speaks on it for a reason. He says, if I speak in tongues of angels and of men, but have not love, I'm just a clanging symbol. Right? He says, if I understand all mysteries and I can, you know, prophesy and... I, in fact, if I give my body to be burned at the stake, but if I don't have love, if I'm, I'm nothing. 
And that's why, you know, I've said in the past, just because someone street preaches doesn't mean that they necessarily love. For the same reason someone can offer their body to be burned as a martyr, it doesn't mean that they love people. People can do that for all sorts of reasons. It can be paraded in a religious context and you feel like you have another spiritual notch on your belt because of you you dying for your faith. Maybe you want your name to survive in a legacy. You want to leave a legacy and, you know, go down in the hall of faith. Not hall of fame, but the hall of faith, right? And you want fame for your faith. You may have faith indeed, but have no love, right? Um, But they're divisive. And and they're kind of arguing what we see people arguing about today. They're saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of the first Baptist, I am of the Anabaptist, I am of the Lutheran, I am of the Pentecostal. And while certainly um, no faith is equal, see, we really are not equal as Christians, as some people would like to think. We're equal in the sense that we've all been, we're all byproducts of the mercy of God. But we're not equal in terms of our measure of faith, our maturity, our wisdom, and our insight into the knowledge of God's truth. And so, <clears throat> people on the one hand say, let us not be divisive. And, and let us avoid all discussion of what in fact is the truth. But then on the other hand, <clears throat> there are those who say, no, we are the elites, we're the best, and we must divide on all, for all reasons, including who we favor as a preacher. And see, it wasn't an issue necessarily of the fact that, it wasn't an issue that Paul was preaching a different message than Apollos. It's just that Apollos was a, an orator. The Bible says in Acts that he was mighty in the scriptures, <clears throat> and he was eloquent. So coming from a Corinthian church with a particular culture and background, they're in favor of eloquent people. They're in favor of those who have great rhetorical and oratorical skills. It's, ah, we prefer Apollos. It's the same message, both anointed men of God. But the Bible says that the Corinthian church considered Paul's speech to be contemptible. It says his letters are weighty, but his bodily presence is weak. We don't really like the way he speaks. See how carnal the Christian mind can become if we're not careful. Now that isn't to say that there are those to whom we listen and and they're not anointed or they don't come with God's power. And as a result of that we say, I don't like listening to this guy. He doesn't bring anything from the Spirit. All he does is just bring great acrobatic language uh, acrobatic skills with his language as he dissects the scripture <clears throat> but you have a, a, a wide array of anointed men of god such as peter such as apollo such as paul and yet they're divisive right and so it's for that reason when you have competent ministers sent from the lord and you're divisive because of your cultural preference you're not acting in love Paul says, to the Jew I become a Jew that I may win a Jew, and to the Gentile I become a Gentile that I may win a Gentile. Right? So love prefers discounting or removing whatever cultural preference you have in order to serve your brother and sister. 
right? So, um, yeah, a lot can be said about that, but suffice it to say, we'll just, you know, we'll just leave it there. <clears throat> so, there's a lot of problems. In fact, the, the church is so bad, you know, a lot of people think they have church problems, but they're, the, the problems there, Paul says, when you meet, it is for the worse. And they're getting drunk with communion. They're gluttons with the Lord's bread. And then they're showing contempt for the poor brothers and sisters who have not. They're not even waiting for, you know, not allowing other people to partake. They're not discerning the Lord's body. I mean, you know, one man is incestuous. He's sleeping around with his stepmom. You know, so Paul... And, and, and if that wasn't enough, they're discrediting Paul and his ministry. They're saying, yeah, you know, your speech is not very good. And what's happening is they're getting, they're giving, they're conceding and giving themselves to what Paul considers super apostles. False brethren. False apostles masquerading themselves as apostles of Christ. It's kind of like what we see today when a faithful shepherd proclaims the word and then what's preferred over the faithful feeding of God's flock is some super exuberant, uh, acrobatic, um, so-called ministers, right? That are promulgating, they're preaching false doctrine. And we see a lot of believers sadly fall headlong into a lot of this stuff. A lot, lot, a lot of people fall headlong into the Stephen Furtick's and the elevations, and 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 it's a lot of hype. And I can understand why people would think such claims are critical, but it's a critical point, and so therefore we must take this with seriousness. Because Paul had taken it with seriousness. And Paul says, I, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Says, For I have betrothed you to one husband, namely Christ. But now you're accepting these people who are wrong. And they're taking advantage of you. And Paul, on the other hand, he says, I, I didn't do that. <clears throat> In fact, he says, I didn't even claim to my my rights as an apostle. What he meant was, he says, I have burdened the other churches um, to basically fund his ministerial labors to proclaim his, the gospel in order to uh, reach the masses as a missionary. And he says, I didn't burden you. In fact, I labored with my own hands to supply my own needs that you, lest you say I'm smooching off of you. And he says, I didn't make my demands as an apostle of Christ. In fact, he could have, because his argument in 1 Timothy says, what soldier goes to war at his own expenses? It's nonsensical. It's nonsense. What farmer whose land it is does not get the share in his own crops? And he labored for it. So Paul is operating in love, and he's, he's travailing, as he said of the Galatians, in birth pains until Christ is formed in them. And so this leads up to this point here where, um, mind you, 
Um, he doesn't have uh, the greatest ministry. You know, he he's not he's not clothed in white raiment, and you know he's he's, he's you know uh, just frolicking through flowers and you know um, you know blowing on people and you know. <laughs> You know, whatever you imagine, you know, it doesn't have Jordans. Whatever you imagine to be this sort of, you know, go hand me, no, go give me my bag. You know, carry my luggage. I need to take my private, my private flight on a private jet to the Bahamas. Go now. You know, he's not one of those sort of prosperity preachers, you know. He's being beat and flogged and, and, Moreover, this is a church that he labored for, and he says, "Yo, why, why are you saying I need a letter of recommendation from you, or from someone else to you?" He says, "You are my letter of recommendation, not written on tablets of stone, but on the fleshly tab- tablets of your heart." He says, "You are the work of my hands." How dare you say I need a letter of recommendation? He says, you're my work in the Lord. Because what's happening is these super apostles are coming in and they're discrediting Paul. And now, guess what? Just like Paul warned about in Acts chapter 20, he says, For from among yourselves will arise wicked men, speaking twisted things, not sparing the flock, but drawing men after themselves. Right? It's not always... it's. See, worse than the occult, worse than the cults is, uh, that normally serve without the body of Christ is the danger within. It's the Judases that we worry about. Judases aren't those that just have slight disagreements. You might get in the flesh with. You might have trouble with disagreements. I don't like that sister. Look at how she sings that song. Or look at that brother. You know, it's it's not that sort of stuff. You know, people sometimes backbite and they gossip sadly. Um, but a Judas is a betrayer at heart. Doesn't care about God's people. See, you can care about God's people and God and at the same time go through some troubles and it get in the flesh sometimes. <laughs> Sadly, and I'm, I'm not proud to say this. I don't even know why I laugh. I, I guess it's just immaturity. Uh, some years back, and I remember I just got saved. And um, <clears throat> I was a year saved. Probably not even that. I was probably like six months saved. And I, I think I had a little bit of ghetto in me still. Uh, you know, I, I, I dropped a lot of the cuss words. I dropped, and I remember I was still saying, foo. What's up, foo? But I remember a brother correct me on that and said, hey, you can't be using that because the Bible says if you call someone a fool, you know, it's like, oh, dang, you know, all right, so I'll stop that, you know. Um, and so, um, although you can say foo, right, you can say, what's that, foo? And, and not really mean what Jesus was addressing, right? What he meant was if you say with hatred, you fool. Right, there's a heart issue there, but still, I get I get the idea. It's not really appropriate. It's not the best thing to be saying. <clears throat> but I remember we were in the hood, 
we were on the south side and we were dropping a brother off and there were some Norteños and um, they're a gang out here in California, a Mexican gang. And I remember there there were like several deep. There's a lot of them, right? And so it was just me and it was night. I forgot. It was probably like late night service. Or we, we, we got out late for service. And uh, there were several of them who were getting drunk. And they were just like posted up right there in the street. And they thought, I mean, I don't know if they thought we were rival gang members or something. I don't know. But um, <clears throat> they were tripping out on us. They were tripping out. And... Um, and then I remember what one of my, one of the brothers said, Hey bro, come on, let's go. Let's go. I said, bro, come come down, dude. Stop being a coward, dude. Like just, just calm down, chill. Nothing's going to happen. And, and they, they can't, they, they were like, Hey, you guys tripping or whatever, you know? And I and we're like, nah, man, we're Christians, bro. You know, we go to church and they're like, all right, cool, 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 whatever. But drunk people, they, you know, they sway back and forth like the waves. And I don't know what happened, but we were just getting in the truck. We were talking amongst ourselves. I think we were joking. And I think they thought we were talking to them. And, and what ha- oh, no, no, what happened was when I told the brother that I said, stop being a coward, he got angry at me. And then so we started going back and forth. And I got in the flesh. And I said, and I said some things that I shouldn't have. And I, I was about to buck up against him and... And I, I was almost tempted to fight him. And so what happened when I'm saying, what's up, dude? Like, you know, would you want to do something? That's what I was telling him. The gang members thought I was talking to them because we were getting loud. And they started running towards us. Like, all of them started, <laughs> like, oh, heck no. So we got in the truck. And then the brother who was in the truck, he literally almost runs one of them over. Like, because they're running, literally. We're in the truck. He peels out. And... And then, and then I'm like, dude, like, and I thought he was going to run him over and, 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 but he swerved out right, you know, and it like right out of the way, right at the last minute, and they threw beers at the truck and everything. It was crazy. Um, but guess what happened? That's because we got in the flesh and then I felt, and I was like, Oh Lord, I felt so convicted. I felt really convicted. I was like, Oh gosh and God's saying <clears throat> repent apologize apologize and I'm like oh Lord I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that you know it was really my fault and so I ended up you know humbling myself and seeing my brother I'm sorry man I made a horrible mistake you know I made a horrible mistake I shouldn't have said what I've said to you I shouldn't have done what I you know did um but Anyways, I forgot where my train of thought, but it was it was it was a funny night. Um and um long story short is um but at the end of the day, the Lord dealt with my heart real quick. And 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 it's, it's very similar like that. You're going back to the idea of false teachers and false believers in the church. They're not quick to repent because they don't have repentant hearts. And sometimes it can seem like the nicest people. You know, it, it's not it's not it's not the Christians that get in the flesh and get angry real quick and got maybe a short temper, maybe they get cranky and they'll, they'll tell you like it is. Those people don't worry me. The people that worry me are always the ones telling you exactly what you want to hear. 
all the time. Because a lot of times, those sort of people are plotting. And I'm not saying all the time. But going back to Acts chapter 20, Paul's operating in love. And there's people, he's saying, you know, they're false apostles. They're false brethren and they don't care about you. They're not the ones that will make some mistakes, tell you some ugly words and then repent about it later. No, they'll tell you what you want to hear. But meanwhile, they're plotting against you. And they might even lead you astray. Right? It happens. It really does happen. Um, So, but the point though is this. Paul is trying to barricade them from these false guys. And guess what he does? Paul doesn't have to. And this is what's leading up to the point. Paul kind of goes into his spiritual resume. And he says, yeah, those guys, they're, 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 they're legit, are they? And so we begin at verse 24. <clears throat> this is what he says. Let's actually begin at verse 21. My apologies. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? He's referring to these false apostles. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. And been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was peddled with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night in a, and a day in the open sea, in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have got, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So that's his spiritual resume there. That's a pretty long list. And what's interesting to me is you're having a a church that's cared for and they're puffed up against the one <clears throat> who has labored so much for them and has gone through so much. You know, it's real interesting how it's kind of like the people that are on the sidelines of the football fields. They love to talk trash and kind of critique the football players on how they should be playing. It's like, okay, well, you go out in 110 degree weather with <clears throat> football equipment on and get sacked by. 300 pound men see how you like it right (laughs) it's it's not the easiest thing to do and we are very quick if we're not careful we're we're very quick if we're not careful to begin to criticize people who actually got skin in the game right i mean because i look at that i've never been stoned i've never been imprisoned 
I, I might have had a little confrontation with cops and stuff telling me not to preach, but I'd never been thrown in prison for my faith. <clears throat> and even even if we did, I don't I don't really fear it very much because I know I got rights and I'm going to be out soon, right? Hey, what's what's a little thirty day jail time? I ain't tripping off that. I'm gonna get well fed, you know. Get the minister of the gospel, some inmates, you know. But I'm not going to be flogged or anything crazy like that. I'm going to return home. I got visiting rights. Going to call my family. You know, it's not that bad. But, and I really mean that. I really mean that because what Paul's going through is a whole lot worse. whole lot worse. Like, I mean, he doesn't get to fly first class. You know, get his little cute peanuts and a cup of coffee. And I'm not downplaying anybody who does that. Hey. You know, someone pays for you to book a flight to another country and they say you can drive first, fly first class, go ahead, more power to you. I'm not hitting off that. But the guy has to go through sea and it's cold. They don't got air conditioning. They don't got a uh, heater. They don't got foot, feet warmers and jacuzzis and, you know, I mean, he's in danger and constant out, uh, constant, constantly. <clears throat> but, you know, the thing I love about Paul, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say... You guys suck. You need to suffer like I do. In fact, in Acts, when he's talking to Festus, he says, I would the God that you are all like me. Save these chains. What he meant is, I want you guys to live like I'm living, except this bondage. Right? And that's why, you know, when people talk, when people talk in such a manner as if to imply you need to suffer like they are, that really stems from a proud heart and an elitist mindset. Because they will invalidate your Christianity unless you suffer like they do. But it's kind of like Jesus said to, to uh, what's his name? <clears throat> Peter. When Peter said, well, is John going to live too? Like, what's going to happen with him? Is he going to suffer like me? He says, you worry about yourself. Right? And according to church history or tradition... Um, uh, John died um, in old age on the island of Patmos. He was the only one that didn't die a martyr's death. Is it because he loved Jesus exceptionally? I don't know. But they tried to burn him alive and didn't, they didn't succeed. So they exiled him on the island of Patmos. <clears throat> and it was there that he received the, the revelation of the book of Revelation. Right? He, w- he wasn't done. God still had a plan for him. So this is Paul's spiritual resume. And the reason why I'm reading this, let's, let's continue reading. He says, verse 30, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Artis had the city of the... De- Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Ain't it amazing the Lord grants deliverance, not only spiritual, but he grants physical deliverance to those who try to lie in wait and to deceive, to, to conspire, to plot against God's people. When God has a plan for you to get to a certain destination, no devil in hell no governor with sovereign power can thwart the plans of God. And I wanted to say something too on the side about Paul's life. 
You know, there's a lot of people that speak in such a manner as if they're prophesying to politicians and this video's for Tro Trudeau, kind of like what Dore Love did some time ago. Just ridiculous. You know, a lot of guys who, uh, <clears throat> I don't know what they think of themselves, but they're really going beyond their measure. They're not in a context or, or position really to even be speaking to these politicians and I, I highly doubt that these people will even listen to them. But Paul was of such an exceptional character that he commanded the attention of kings and governors and pharaohs and rulers, magistrates, noblemen. Do you understand that? And the Lord, he knew, he had prophetic insight that the Lord had called him to go to Rome. He was supposed to go to Rome. And so God had a specific purpose for him to proclaim his word to those people. And so Paul's raising the dead. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's commanding to, for certain wicked occult leaders for them to go blind. See, people act as if they have authority to speak to such authorities, but they don't walk in such authority. That's why I doubt 99% of the people who claim such things on YouTube. And so I say that because if your life is, is emulating the life of Paul, then I would, I would suspect that there's good reason to believe that God has really stationed you in these places. But everybody knew who Paul was. These governors said they, he, they're turning the world upside down. Right? But they were really turning it right side up. But... I mean the entire, but see, here's the thing. We have thousands of Christians and, and churches are still unknown in our country. They're still unknown even in our smaller towns. And we got internet and we got, we got everything under the sun to get the message out, but yet we're still unknown. And I'm saying not we here, but I'm saying by and large. And I'm not saying that the goal is for us all individually to be known by our entire, you know, city councils and stuff like that. But the idea is, by and large, the church has almost become irrelevant. At least in the West. You go to the East or you, you, go, you go to Africa and, and some of these voodoo people and all this stuff, or they, they can't stand the church. The Muslims can't stand the church. I was just watching Brother Philip Blair. He had gone to Mexico. And there's this satanic thing called Santa Muerte. And it, it means holy death. And it's straight demonic, man. The moment Philip Blair had gone there, started preaching, they kicked him out and they started harassing him and drove him out of that, that area. They're like, no, we don't want that. Get out of here. And that stuff is that stuff is crazy. Like, for real. They're really talking to demons. Um... <clears throat> but do we cause havoc? Do we cause havoc to the kingdom of darkness? And that's really biblical Christianity. It's not something that we or I impose on the text. It's something that is there. And it doesn't mean that we should come out, go out and be belligerent, um, fear monger, Bible thumping, irrelevant, bullhorn <laughs> shouting people. Because that, that's the kind of persona that a lot of people... And the only attention they get is because they're arrogant, right? They're belligerent. 
snow. Paul spoke, Paul spoke with love and gentleness, and yet the whole cities knew him. Right? Kind of reminds me of that man, I believe he was in England in the 1800s. See, I, it, was, it was John Wesley who said that if the city is not rejoicing in joy out of, the, out of conversion or angry at you, you're not preaching the gospel and you're not preaching in power. Right, but in the 1800s, you know, men, you know, alcoholics would tip off their hats and say, "Here comes the man that loves our soul." Here comes the man that loves our soul. I love that, I really do, and and it it, it can go both ways. People can get really angry, or people can feel very loved. Either it's a savor unto death, or it's a savor unto life. Either it's a sweet aroma of the gospel that leads to salvation or it'll only encourage greater condemnation because they sin against a greater light. They're no longer sinning at that point against the light of conscience. They're sinning against the light of the gospel. And it would be better for them to have never heard. Right? That's that's horrible, man. That's terrifying. <clears throat> But chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. You know what's funny about this is Paul says, well, let's keep reading. I'll, I'll, I'll comment on that right now. He says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man... And he's not speaking in the first person here. He's not saying, I, Paul. He said, this man, right? I believe it's third person. Um, and this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. You know, all these funny, crazy books you know, being sold on TBN and the latest bookstores I've gone to hell, get gone to heaven. Paul didn't find it needful to tell of these things. Right? So if you're making a big buck off these books and you say you've gone to heaven and Paul said, there are inexpressible things that I'm not even permitted to tell. <laughs> oh, you've gone to heaven, right? You made... $10,000 off your best-selling book. <clears throat> I'm not saying that people haven't. But you know one of the things I've learned about the, the prophetic and things about visions? Those who really have them and they're deep, they're not often shared. Not everyone is permitted to know. And, and it's not trying to be esoteric or mystic or ooh. But I'm being serious. There are, there are real like prophets of the Lord that see phenomenal things. That the rest of, of people are not permitted to know because they cannot be trusted. They don't put in the sacrifice to know such things. And Paul doesn't go out searching for all these things. You think Paul was searching? No, Paul was searching to kill people. He was, he was searching to kill Christians. But he was knocked off the road to Damascus. Uh, on the road to Damascus, right? He was knocked off the horse or whatever he was on. 
and he says, "Lord, is that he's you know is who are you, Lord?" He says, "I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest." He says, "You know why? Why do you persecute me?" And the Lord Jesus said um, that Paul was going to suffer great things. <clears throat> But look, he had gone up to heaven, the third heaven. He says, I can't even speak about it. And so he's speaking in third person because what he's implying is, I don't want to boast about those things. I know a man. Right? But that man is really him. Verse 6 is, even if I should choose to boast, I will not be a fool, because I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of the surpassing great revelations. So they're not only great, and see, here's the thing, sometimes the knowledge of God can in fact lead you to pride. There are people that I have I've seen who've been destroyed because they gained a little bit of notoriety or recognition. You know, it's said that popularity has slain more prophets of the Lord than persecution. And so <clears throat> he says they're surpassing great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being con- becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Some people have speculated that this means people. The thorns in the flesh were people because in I believe it's in Deuteronomy or it might be in Numbers, thorns were described as those things, the, the, the people that the, the Israelites had failed to drive out of the land so they, were, they would therefore remain and serve as thorns in their side. Thorns and breers, Right? Constant pests and tormenting you. You don't get to live at peace because you didn't obey the Lord, right? But there's a thorn in his flesh. And the reason for this thorn is to prevent him from becoming conceited. So this is why I don't believe in the sinless perfectionist sort of people. I've talked to them and and they tend to be the most arrogant because they they don't see themselves in the truth in, in light of the God's word, uh, they act as if they have no proclivity or temptation to sin or conceit or anything like that. It's like, are you saying you're better than Paul? Right? I highly doubt that. Paul was a very spiritual man. I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for holiness, but the point is this: we're all made of the same material, flesh and blood, and that flesh and blood, the Bible says, it there is evil that dwells. With this flesh and blood. It is always present. We have not yet experienced the full package of the salvation that Jesus purchased for us. We have been saved, which is justification. We are being saved, which is sanctification. And one day we will be entirely saved, which is glorification. We will put on our new bodies. That which is mortal will be swallowed up by the immortal. This fleshly tent will be swallowed up by life. Right? But he says that there's... So here's the thing. The Lord can issue you and myself a thorn in the flesh. This thorn may in fact be people, but we don't know for certain. 
But the point, though, is this, that nevertheless, regardless of what it is, it has been sent to torment him, to harass, to buffet him. Now, we have to be careful with this because not every... Not every trouble is necessarily a thorn. It can be opposition from the devil the Lord does not intend to be in your life. But at the same time, there are things that we may be rebuking that will never leave because God intends it to humble us. Especially if you have such a great resume like Paul. Victory after victory after victory after victory. Right? And, and and such such spiritual resumes are very foreign to the modern church, I believe. It's the minority who experience such great victories. But every man and every woman needs to be tempered. Every man and every woman needs some sort of sanctifying tool brought about and brought to our lives by the sovereign hand of God to keep us humble. Keep us humble. Keep us dependent. Keep us needy. You know, by the grace of God, I can say that <clears throat> I'm going on in my 11th year as a believer. And while knowing my coming to know myself has been very terrifying at times because I see things in my heart that are not the prettiest. I'm not saying I'm some crazy, you know, person or living a double life, but, you know, we we have the same hearts that need to be constantly purified. And sometimes our own character and behavior comes as a surprise to us, right? For, for example, that example I gave of me almost getting in a fight. I remember working at the slaughterhouse, almost getting in a fight with some guys, Right? And I didn't want to. I didn't, praise the Lord. But there had been some times where I was really tested. Really tested. And it shows us our great need of a great Savior and the mercy of God and the grace of God. Right? So not everything that brings pain is a disservice to us. We might think it cripples us and it prevents us from being as efficient as we could have otherwise have been in in service to the Lord. But this disability, this thorn, is to bring out the gold. Because it's not about what you want. It's not about what I want. It's not about what's preferable. It's about Christ getting his image stamped on you and I. He wants us to go through the fire. But guess where God is at? He is in the fire. He is in the fire. And and his presence will be known to the degree that even wicked rulers such as Nebuchadnezzar will be able to identify that there's a fourth man standing in the fire and his appearance is as the Son of God. 
But the question is this, do we maneuver around it or do we allow the Lord to bring us in it? Because as we remain in the fire, all the dross and all the impurities begin to liquidize and and, and come out from us. Right, But what I was saying is uh, I, I'm in my 11th year now and I can say that there's some thorns that have been in my life that have driven me to get on my knees and say, God, oh Lord, I need you. I need your presence. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your mercy. I need you to come and wash me again. I need you to lift me up. I need, oh Lord, for you to give me a new song and to drive me out of this problem to allow me to come out triumphant. Hallelujah. And I'm happy for that. I am, but I'm not. (laughs) On the one hand, I'm not so carnal to say I don't not appreciate it but at the other hand I'm not so full of myself and think of myself as more spiritual than I than I really am to say oh yeah just I welcome the suffering <laughs> give me more I love it I think both are unbiblical attitudes and mindsets because <clears throat> Paul says I, I didn't want this I don't want this suffering I don't want to be tormented right who does None of us. But there is a vision, there is a call, and there is this purpose that transcends the suffering and gives meaning and purpose for why you remain. It anchors us. It anchors us. And Christ's promise to us doesn't alleviate or remove or eradicate suffering. It promises us an anchor in the suffering. Why? How can I say this? A thorn in my flesh, messenger of Satan. So there's a satanic messenger. Whether whether that's used figuratively to imply these things are sending me a message, and it's a message saying, Paul, stay humble, or they're actual messengers. Demonic messengers, right? Like spiritual demons or actual people. Regardless, says they have come to torment me. Well, that's not loving Jesus. Why will you allow Paul, your son, to be tormented? Because there's a greater prevailing good. Because conceit could destroy Paul. Conceit could destroy Paul. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. Paul prayed the prayer of faith. He pleaded with the Lord. He was persistent. And guess what the answer was? No. My grace is sufficient. It will keep you. You will not feel the overflowing abundance of effects 
to help you to feel like you're walking on cloud nine. At times you will barely feel like you're getting through, but that grace will be sufficient to get you to the other side to endure. His power is made perfect in weakness. See, our power is made perfect when we're strong. But that's not the strength that God works with. And it's not the form of strength that will allow us to endure. Right? We need Christ's strength. It says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake. See, he says it's it's not for the suffering's sake. It's not for it's not for greater ministry's sake. It's not for any of that. He says it's for Christ's sake. You know, and and that's a biblical attitude. You know, that to have. There's some people that you feel like I I just can't get over certain things. I just can't stand this person, but for Christ's sake, I will. I don't want to do that. That person's a jerk, but for Christ's sake, I will do it. Right? I delight in weaknesses, insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you. So, so once again, he's going over a spiritual resume because he's saying, you guys should have commended me. You guys should have recognized that I'm a true apostle. But you're, you're having me needlessly go over these things to show you that I'm not a fake. I'm not a fraud. Right? He says, For I am not in, in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. He says, how were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. So, there again you have that idea that he's a true apostle. And you know how he can say that with confidence? Because the Bible says suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. One of the true signs that you're a real Christian or a real minister is that you continue to endure despite suffering. You remain. You abide in Christ. That doesn't mean that you won't sin, but it means that you still cleave a hold of Jesus. You know, I remember Paul Washer said that the devil may assault your mind and tempt you to believe, to doubt your salvation, but one thing you will never doubt is that Christ is the answer to salvation. Christ is the answer. So, coming to a close, I just wanted to really focus in on the idea That despite hardships and persecutions, despite thorns in our flesh, the grace of Christ was sufficient for Paul 
and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for us. Whether we contract COVID, whether we're all alone, whether we're confused, but see, grace doesn't fall into your lap. Grace is is requested for, right? It's prayed for, it's sought for. It's not earned, but it's sought for. And this is why sometimes people don't endure their trials is because they don't know how to appropriate the grace that is available for them. So my desire is that we would endure, that we would tap into the grace and the strength that God provides. And we would not shrink back from suffering. We would not shrink back from the obstacles that assail us. We will not shrink back in the difficulty of the work. We will not shrink back in our devotion to reading God's word and devotion to prayer and devotion to the assembling of the saints. Because these are the means of grace. That's another thing. Is the means of grace... A means means <laughs> an avenue through which something travels. And so God appropriates grace in our lives through several ways. One is prayer, another is reading, another is fasting. Another is encouragement from the saints. Right? So that's why, you know, people who isolate themselves who say, I don't need anybody They're really saying, ah, I'm better than Paul because I don't really need these means of grace in my life. I can really do this by myself. I don't need these people. And really, it's an implicit denial of the scriptural truths because that's not what Jesus ordained. But this thing is for certain. There's an arch foe, there's an arch enemy of our soul and he wants to take us out. There are messengers of Satan, but what the devil intends for bad, God will intend for good. God will intend for good. You see, in the case of Joseph, it says that the Lord was with him while he was a supervisor and he elevated to a place of position in times when he was thrown into prison. And yet he may have had temptation to believe that the promise of God has failed. But he did not waver in his faith. He believed that God was able to perform that which was shown him in that vision. And see, here's the thing. People, they backslide and they don't endure because they don't have a vision for their life. They don't have a God-wrought vision. See, the most mean, the most Tormenting life is not a life of pain. It's a life free of physical pain, free of financial pain, but with no purpose. It's angst. It's anxiety. It's it's anguish of soul knowing that there's no purpose for why you're existing. 
right? That is the most meaningless life. I remember Ravi Zacharias said this great quote. He said the most meaningless. He says the most uh, painful life are not those uh, who have exhausted pain. The most uh, meaningless life are those who have exhausted pleasure. You know, me and my wife were watching these travel vlogs, and the people are literally traveling all over the world, the most nice place, and they get paid to do it. It's all that they do. They go to, you know, this place, that place, and some of the nicest places you can go to. And and I was telling my wife, you know, I wonder if the guy ever thinks, man, I just wish I could just be home. I just wish I had a certain dwelling place. Get some normalcy in my life. Because at some point, you've seen it all, right? What can you do from that point forward? The earth is large as life, right? And there's nowhere else to go now. That's why, you know, a lot of people, when they go through their life of sin, they continue for a season. And they're happy when they're able to achieve whatever their hands set themselves to do. But at some point you see, man, this is really empty. <clears throat> it's really empty. You know, I remember I had a little bit of ghetto fame and enough money. Uh, I... You know, I was respected, um, you know, got a little notches under my belt, uh, I was pushing ounces of, of drugs and all that stuff, and, you know, I was, I used to be broke, because my dad didn't give me anything, right? And so now I felt like I was high and mighty, but then once I got to a certain place, <clears throat> a ladder, I, it was certainly nothing like Scarface or anything like that, but I, I realized, like, man, I basically, all that I wanted, I kind of do have already. And it's empty. And it doesn't matter whether it's that horrible life or whether it's prosperity, whether it's just having a nice, what, whatever you wanted. That nice home with three kids and a husband. You get everything that you want. And then what? There is nothing else higher to live for. That's why it is only God that can satisfy the heart. Is because He's infinite. You can probe and probe and probe and search and search, and search, and you will never come to even scratch the surface of His infinite depths, His infinite wisdom. That's alright, sis. That's, that's fine. <clears throat> There's no end. And that's why worshiping God is the only thing that will satisfy the heart. Only thing that can satisfy the heart. Because you can't get bored with the God you will never be able to figure out. Completely. Think about how He existed from eternity past. 
10 billion years ago God was. He always was. And in the twinkling of an eye, he said, let there be light. And everything coherently came into order with the cosmos and the universes and the Milky Ways and the galaxies and the Earth and Pluto and Saturn and Mars and the Sun. It was all coming to existence simultaneously, Earth, space, and matter. Boom! God said, let there be light, and it was so. And it is this God we serve. And the fact that we would see a lack of the miraculous is not an indication of God's impotence or his lack of power, but rather his restraint of power. His power is often demonstrated in your weakness, not in your prosperity and strength. That's how his power is demonstrated. So while we're praying for a breakthrough, while we're praying for a healing, while we're praying for a miracle, while we're praying for someone to be raised from the dead, God is saying, no, I want there to be, um, and I want to demonstrate my power to show how these weeping souls can all get through it. Rather than having some external manifestation of my power, I want to allow you to live in such a situation where it's utterly impossible for you to get through. You may be on the verge of suicide or you're on the verge of depression or whatever the case is. And God is able to bring you through because if he raises the dead, that doesn't help to improve our character. But when you're almost spiritually dead and there's no way in for your deliverance and he takes you into fire and he begins to purify you that's how our characters develop and that's how the glory of God is manifested and that's how his power is contrasted when he shows us how weak we really are and how it was him and him alone that got us through oh how unsearchable are the ways of God and his paths finding out we're so quick to project and uh, onto God what we think he should be doing. Look at Paul, like we we're reading. Was it not his prayer saying, Lord, remove this from me? I mean, he was theologically astute. He knew his Greek, he knew his Hebrew, he knew his Aramaic, he knew his Latin. He was a well-learned man, knew the law, studied, studied under Gamaliel, seen revelations, and yet there's this gap of ignorance that Paul didn't even know all the time what to pray for. And he's praying, Lord, remove this from me. And Jesus says, no, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you in weakness. My power is made perfect in your strength. Nope. Made pop, made perfect in your weakness. What brings weakness today? Is it your loneliness? Is it your singleness? Always having to pray and ask the Lord how you're going to pay your bills 
or how how your parents are going to pay their bills, right? Because that that's a concern too, legitimate concern. <clears throat> a temptation that you keep facing that you just can't seem to conquer completely. It's not something you're necessarily falling in, but it's always crouching at your door, lurking for you, and you can hear the the you can hear the the croaking of that lion about to open his mouth. God allows these things to keep us dependent. Dependence. Right? The devil will sell you and advertise you independence. Right? I see it a lot. A lot of these women want to play God, act like they don't need a man. Act like superwoman, do everything themselves. You're going to get tired after a while. People normally want independence because it means they don't have to trust anybody. Nah, forget it. You guys suck. I'll do it my way. It means I don't want to trust. I don't want to give you the chance. I don't want to give you the, the time or day. But guess what? If you're going to be a Christian, all that stuff has to go out the window. Because what that's going to require is for you to trust God. It's going to require for those walls to come crumbling down. I say, Lord, I don't like this suffering stuff. But I feel like, Peter, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Where will I go? There is no place for us to go. I like that song by Eddie James. It says, it says um, this, this, this world has nothing for me. I will follow you. This world has nothing for me. I will follow you. Does this world still have something for us? You know, I was telling my brother last night. Because we're reminiscing on some past ministry memories and stuff. And I said, man, brother, it's been, a, it's, uh, it's gone by really fast. And I said, tis one life, soon be past. Tis one life and it will soon be past. You know, <laughs> You know, every, every day, you know, I I wake up, I'm like, man, it's another day. It's another day, you know, and uh, I feel like, you know, my birthday's around the corner. It's like three months from now. I'm like, man, I'm almost getting into my 30s. <laughs> it's a scary idea. <laughs> like, no, no. I was telling my boy last night. Cause you know I was joking with my wife. I was like, I was like, your, your friend's gonna think I'm cool, huh? He's all, nope. <laughs> and you know, there's this guy. You know, I I sent some of you guys the guy. He he asked this really long question. It's a funny guy. He's on the golf course. He says, I'm a big dude, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I was telling my son that I was like, I'm a cool dude. Huh? 
your friend's gonna be like, dang, you talk too big, dog. Let me get his autograph. He a cool dude. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> oh. oh, that's funny. <clears throat> but <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, though, sacrifice, sacrifice is a, a big thing. Sacrifice is a big thing, and what you're doing is you're laying up for the future. <clears throat> so while others get to play, you don't get to live like them. But guess what? Jesus says, blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. But he says, woe unto you whose laughter is now, for there will come a time when you will mourn. It's all those that are eating and drinking and giving in marriage. And the preachers of righteousness are saying there's a storm coming. There's an ark we're preparing and you better get in because it's going to flood. It's going to flood and get ready. And they're saying nonsense. Right? And meanwhile, you're just hammering that ark. You're looking like a fool. People are laughing. You're hammering that ark. Saying, I, I want to just work for the Lord. They're like they're laughing at you, they're jeering at you, they're pointing at you, saying, That's ridiculous. Ha <laughs> ha, look at that fool. But Paul says, I would rather be a fool for Christ. Because it's really you who are fools. Because you don't know that tonight the Lord will say you f-. this is actually a verse. The Bible says that the Lord will say, You fool. Your life is demanded of you this very hour. Give an account. Give an account. That's heavy. So, I want to impress on your conscience to endure. To fill up with the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, our sister's not feeling the best. Christ can be magnified in your body. Christ can be glorified in your body. Christ is not always glorified by healing. I think the greatest way that he receives glory is that if he withholds such healings and you will say like Job, I will bless the Lord. The Lord has given and let, let and the Lord has taken away. Though he slays me, yet I will trust the Lord. That is the greatest pronouncement that a soul can make while the devil's afflicting your body with boils. Everything has been ruined in your life. And guess what the Bible says in the book of James? It says, but we know the tender mercies of the Lord so that after Job suffered a little while that he restored unto him sevenfold. He restored unto him sevenfold. Hallelujah. 
Not in the life to come, in this life. So I do expect blessings nonetheless. I don't, I'm not based on, I'm not basing my relationship with God on blessing, but I know that blessings will come. But the greatest of all will be the, the, the restoration of all things and the reward of a hundredfold in the life to come. Oh, but a million fold will be repaid to those who reject Christ this, on this side of eternity. A million fold. Right? So let us, let us love people. Because <clears throat> this is the only heaven they will get. This is the only hell that we'll get. But even this little miniature hell has its little tastes of heaven, right? <clears throat> I consider this uh, fellowship a, a sense of heaven. I consider wonderful brothers and sisters as a sense of heaven. I consider my family a sense of heaven. I consider every time I get to open up the word and read and savor the words of Christ a sense of heaven. Every time the Lord blesses my soul and I feel His Holy Spirit, I see this as a sense of heaven. And you know what? I want to bring heaven wherever there's darkness and wherever there's hell. I don't know about you, but I'm coming to a close, but I'm fueled every time I acknowledge that there's hell at certain places. And I say, you know what? I want to, I want to destroy that. I want to demolish hell. I want to ransack and I want to cause havoc and I want to disrupt everything that the devil has enacted. Everything he has created. So if the devil is going to torment us with that messenger of Satan, the thorn in his flesh, let's torment him back by winning souls, by bringing light wherever there's darkness, life where there's death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 